0: This is conversation two of Finnegan's take. Jerry takes the entry exam to become a cop and joins the academy. He requests to join the 7th District, which encompasses Englewood on the south side of Chicago, and is considered by many to be one of the most dangerous and crime-ridden neighborhoods in the city and the country. Here's that conversation. You have a transition in your life from being a laborer to taking your exam to become a police officer
1: that was the only thing i aspired to do in life you know, i took the examination in 1985 got my results then maybe about Nine months later, and that was actually pretty fast because the city generally drags out the results on these tests. It could be a year, year and a half, two years before you hear something. So, there was a test procedure, different parts of the test. You had to take a physical agility, you had to take a health physical if you got hired during the processing. And in addition to that, at that time, they had this thing called an assessment center. I don't know what the reasoning was for this. What they would do is they ask a question and a scenario, they give you a scenario. A sergeant would sit in with five or six of you guys, including myself, and he would say, this is the scenario, and then you have to answer. So everyone gets a certain amount of time to answer. Then I went down, and I was told that I was overweight, which was absurd. So I was told that was a way of weaning out white guys because they had too many of them in the pool. I said, you know what? I'm going to lose weight. So I started running on a regular basis. And I was not obese by far. I was probably in the best shape of my life. I dieted and gave them no excuse. And I would go on a weekly basis, make sure that I weighed in, made progression every week.
0: Was this an option they presented to you? Like, by the way, you can come in every week?
1: No. Or you took the initiative? Yes. Yes. They did not tell you. I was told by one of the nurses in the medical section on Jackson, where the police academy's at, you don't have to come in every week. You can come in like every month. And I said, no, no, I'm going to come in every week because I want to make sure that I'm showing an initiative and I want to make sure that you say I have to lose 14 pounds or whatever, then I'll lose the 14 pounds. I did that. I passed that part. Everything was in the waiting process. I called home and Jane tells me that detective from personnel calls. I said, "Hmm, okay. So she gives me the guy's name. His name was Mosier. And I called him up, he answers the phone, and he reads a blanket statement, regret to inform you that you're going to be eliminated from the process because you have not passed the psychological examination. I said, I haven't passed the psychological examination. And I said, what recourse do I have? He says, oh, well, you can, you can come and see a psychiatrist again. I said, put me down for that because I want to come and see a psychiatrist. So I go to the academy when I get a date, and there's about 30, 40 people there waiting and they're calling us one by one. They go down the hallway, into a cubicle and talk to a psychiatrist. When it's my turn, I go down there, sit down. The guy's very nice young guy. He tells me to sit down. So he says, oh, I just got some questions here for you. I said that you were arrested for disorderly conduct at a baseball game. I said, because that's correct. Well, tell me about that. I said, well, some guys from Indiana were behind a set of socks, me and my brother and I were, there, and they were smoking weed, and they kept blowing it onto us. And we asked them nicely, but they kept it up. So we ended up getting a fight with them. Okay. And I said, we weren't the only ones. All four of us were arrested. Okay. All right. So what about this? It says you can easily consume six drinks in an hour. So I said, well, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I said, I have seven brothers. And I said, it's kind of if you snooze, you lose. So if you get a case of beer and you don't drink fast, you're losing out kind of laughed it off.
0: How did he answer. know this?
1: The written test has a psychological element built into it. So they'll ask you the question but they'll rephrase it 40 questions later or 30 questions later. And if you answer it a little differently, then they'll flag you. It's not because you it's something crazy, but they ask you like do you hear voices? I want to believe one of the questions, have you ever played with your feces? I mean, stuff like this. It's not like question, you know, uh, have you been treated for mental illness? Have you been in the hospital? None of that. It's just questions and they rephrase them to see if they can get you to answer in a different manner. I said I wasn't arrested for ever fighting and I was. It was a misdemeanor and I just forgot about it. The guy was like, okay. And then the drinking, they must have asked about consuming alcohol at a party or something within an hour. And I said, yes. So maybe I'll rush through it. It's a time test. I don't know. But those were the two things they flagged me on. I get a letter send a report to the police academy. It came out of the clear blue sky. And it says I had to call and accept my appointment to the police department. So I called the, the detective who had come out to my house uh, years before. His name was Rockaway, a very pleasant guy. And his son was on the job later. I to the son of a sergeant. And he just told me, you know, good luck. That was it. So I reported to the academy. That time it was 20 weeks.
0: Let's pause there for a second and just expand sure. a little bit. So the detective comes to tell you that you've
1: made it? No, no, no. No, no, no. The detective comes out in your background investigation. So what they do is when you turn in your, it's called a package. They send you out a package. And you have to fill out this paperwork about all your brothers and sisters and family members, your mom and dad. They don't so much ask back then. They didn't ask too much about like death, except if you owned the city. Did you uh, Do you have a, you had to show that you had a current City of Chicago vehicle tag sticker, you know, for the window that you purchased that? that your driver's license was current and not suspended, but he had that printout that he had already. He says, yeah, I see your driver's license. You don't have any outstanding violations or anything. So they come out and they look to see where you live, sit down, said, I'm going to be your background investigator. Everything so far looks pretty good. Call me if you need anything, and I'm going to do the follow-up into your background when I have to do all the other stuff, and then uh, we'll notify you. I called him about a month later. Uh, I got a message to call him, and I called him. And he said, yeah, your, your background's on. I signed off on it. My boss signed off on it, sent you to processing. So you'll be going for health physical and the physical agility. They have your report to, at that time, it was the police gym at 35th and Normal, old building, factory. And you did the sit-ups, pull-up, push-ups. You had to do a a mile-and-a-half timed run. You had to lift something to make sure your back wasn't bad. And then after that, they have you report to police academy and they have you stripped down to your boxers. You stand there in the gym and they walk up and down the rolls of recruits and they have you bend forward all the way down, touch your toes. They want to make sure you don't have any ailments that can prevent you from, and then claiming it once you come on the job. And then they look at you for tattoos. They look at your body, you know, make sure you don't have any major issues. You take a vision test, a hearing test, and then that's it. And then when you're done with that, you wait for them to call you. But I got a notice saying that I had to lose some weight, So I was like, yeah, okay. The funny thing about that was Neil, and I knew and this wasn't just me saying that's my opinion. I go to the academy. We're out on a run. We would run from Jackson and Loomis to Western Avenue, which was a couple miles, and then back to the academy, a couple more miles back. And we were in December, so it wasn't nice out, but myself and another guy named Bill Moriarty and a couple other guys were always in the front of the pack. And I see all of these big fat asses bringing up the back, a couple white guys. As my inhalers, and I just want to know why I didn't have to lose weight? Why weren't they going in for a weigh-in and being delayed and everything else? I knew what that was all about. And it's funny because Washington had just died. Gene Sawyer was the mayor when I got hired and then Daley beat him in a special election in 89 to take over the two more years until he can run for full term. So Sawyer's in there. Eight male whites, myself, Bill Moriarty, and some other white guys get called into a small classroom. And there's two black female instructors, police officers, black male and a black sergeant. His name was Brian Lundy. They close the door. They start telling us about slavery and how the white slave masters would have sex with the female slaves and produce babies. And the whole time They're looking at us. I don't know if they're waiting for some reactions, but we're just listening because we're brand new guys and we don't want to fuck up and lose our jobs. So after about a half hour of that, we're dismissed and we go back to our class. And on the way up, we're like, what the fuck was that about? To this day, I never know what that was about. I don't know if they were trying to get a reaction out of us but we just out. it was just the weirdest thing. It had nothing to do with police work. Although a lot of shit that we learned in there had nothing to do with police work. A lot of the instructors, and there were like my home instructors, are great guys. But there were some coppers in there that didn't have shit for time on the job. A lot of females, they were hiding, man, because they didn't want to be out there on the street. They had a nice cush job in there.
0: Why don't you lead us up to when you got on the force? What year was that?
1: I started the police academy December of 88, December 5th to be exact. And then completed various courses for the academy. Towards the end of completing everything that was required, you took a state examination for law enforcement officer, which everyone has to do, you're required, no matter where you work in the state. took that exam and was informed myself in a number, I mean, I think there were 120 some odd recruits, including myself, and I think there were only like three or four failures. So we were informed individually that we were passed. If you were complete with all the requirements from the academy, then we were informed that we would be sworn in. I was expecting some pretty big ceremony getting sworn in. I was one of all two dozen at that time who were told to report to the gym in the academy. And uh, there were a couple of police officers there who were instructors, checked off our names and when they called us and then tossed Manila, small Manila envelope to each one of us. And we knew what that was. It was your star and your, your hat shield. Simulation, because you just had finished the academy. Uh, although you weren't finished with the academy, you had completed what was required of you. You still had a little bit of academy time left, number of weeks, probably less than a month. After you received your star and your shield, you were informed by the room instructor. Those of you who were sworn today are to report in your uniforms. Didn't know much about how to act. Saw officer on the street, except for if you saw somebody doing something, common sense would tell you, yeah, you could take police action. So you got a star and a hat shield, but you did not get a identification card, which I thought was the strangest thing. After you were close to the end of the academy, our particular class, we were going to get out at the end of March. Right before we were released from the academy, we were going to be given our assignments. So you would be told what district you were going to. They did not give you the opportunity to say, oh, I'd like to go here or I'd like to go here. Yeah, there's guys that wanted to go to certain districts and they didn't end up there. They got sent somewhere else. There's guys that asked somebody like a boss or something to put in a request or even ask people in the academy. I remember going in to see with my home instructor, one of the lieutenants there who was in charge of doing the assignments. He said, this guy's asking to go to Inglewood to the 7th district. So the lieutenant says, well, let me see what I could do. Funny because it was one of the worst areas to work in the city, so it wasn't a soft place. It was a they called them fast, so it was a very fast district. So that's where you want to go. You want to go and learn how to be the police and the guys that are working there are the police and the women because they're doing stuff every day where it's very busy and there's a lot of crime. So you're going to learn how to do that job fast, and uh, you're going to be the police in Chicago. There was a saying was called the real police. So you would be talking about somebody and say, guys, they're real police. And, and I'm not saying just because they worked in the 7th District, or the 11th District, or the 15th District, or 25, even on the South Side, five, three, four, uh, very fast districts, high crime. So anyway, I ended up going to the 7th District.
0: I want to pause a moment and shed some light on the 7th District. The 7th District is a little square on the South Side of Chicago, It sits within an area called Englewood. As Jerry stated, it is considered one of the more dangerous places in the city. It remains so to this day. And Chicago is made up of 22 districts. It used to be 25. When Jerry was on the force, it was 25. And I believe a couple districts have been wrapped into other districts. I think 13, maybe 21. But today it's I believe down to 22 districts and just reading a little bit from Wikipedia census information about Inglewood, the data from 2022, 1% white it's 92% black 3.9% Hispanic 0.06% Asian 2.2% other. This is interesting to know on the political front. The Inglewood community area has supported the Democratic Party in the past two presidential elections by overwhelming margins. In the 2016 presidential election, the Inglewood cast 8,646 votes for Hillary Clinton and cast 141 votes for Donald Trump. That's 97% to 1%. But let's go back to the conversation.
1: I lived in the 8th district. Seven was a small district. Uh, The smaller the district, the higher the crime. Started me on a watch. Captain at that time was Jimmy Delaney. He was like the captain I would later go to work for. They held command positions. They were commanders before being demoted back to their civil service rank of captain. And the reason they were demoted was that they were Jane Byrne supporters. When Jane Byrne lost and the next mayor was Harold Washington, The guys who were Jane Byrne supporters all got dumped back to their civil service ranks.
0: Was this common practice in the ping ping pong of Chicago politics? The exempt people
1: serve at the leisure of the superintendent of police. So you get a change in the administration generally. Not all the time, but generally you'll get a new superintendent because they want somebody that is going to march to their drum. The mayor is going to say to the fifth floor, I'm going to make you the superintendent, but this is the way I want stuff done. When it comes to promotions, people who are politically heavy have political clout. Those people get command spots, and they go like a rising star. So they just keep going
0: up the chain. Why do you think you were assigned to the 7th?
1: I asked my home instructor, Pat Matt like, great guy. Uh, he's gone. He was a Marine, and he was a decorated police officer. He was in the academy didn't dig too much into it, but I know he was awarded the superintendent's award of valor. And he told it like it was. It wasn't all the rule stuff. And he'd tell you, get out here and this is gonna happen or this is gonna happen. And so, I mean, he was a pretty honest guy and very candid about how the department operated. But I asked him the one day, I said, Hey Maz, if you like to be called Mazlanka. I go, Hey Maz, I said, Let me ask you a question. I said, Do you think you can get me to the seventh district? Because you want to go to the seventh district? So let me get your temperature. He said, No, no, I'm serious. I live in eighth. And I heard it's fast and it's a great place to, to be the police. And he goes, we are going to learn to be the police there. That's for sure. He goes, let me see what we can do. A couple of weeks went by and I was walking in from lunch and he said, come here. So he took me in to see the lieutenant and said, this is one of my puppies. Can you see what you can do about getting into seven? And the lieutenant said, oh, let me see what I could do. Because believe it or not, people wanted to go to fast districts. I didn't rely on just that. My sister's brother-in-law. Was a commander at that time. He had friends in the department. And my sister had met other guys through him. There was a guy on there. His name was John Stivage, and he was a great guy. He was a deputy chief at that time in the detective division. She saw him and she said, Hey, can you send my brother to seven? And he goes, Yeah. He says, Let me see. I'll see what I can do. So I got notified that I was going to be assigned to the seventh district when the sheet came out. They put it on the board in each homeroom, and it showed you where you were going. I saw my name and my employee number, my star number, and then it said unit of assignment is 044, which is the academy, because while you're a recruit, until you're on probation, you're still assigned to the academy. But it said detail 007 district. So I got to go to the 7th district, which was, to me, was, I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie to you, because although I grew up in the city,
0: it was different. Did you know what the 7th district was as a civilian, or did you just... No, you didn't, but did you knew But it. you knew the area is a civilian.
1: Yeah, sure. I knew you didn't go over there. I mean, I had no reason to go through unless I was driving through to go somewhere.
0: You knew this area. You just didn't know it as a 7th District. But as you go through the academy, you want to go into the action. So the 7th District has a reputation in your mind as one of the most dangerous districts. And you... Jerry Finnegan are wired to want to go into those circumstances. That's why you want to become a cop, right? I mean, that right, was, right. that was your destination. Yeah.
1: Downtown. I mean, stuff going to happen down there. There were victims of crime down there and there were robberies and stuff like that. But the first district was a retirement home at one time in the police department. Literally, if you went to one, you were at the end of your career or you were a dog. And that's what the term was. You were the police. The real police, which is the hard hard charger, going out there running and gunning from the time the shift started till the time it ended, backing up everybody, whether you liked them or not, whether you didn't agree with their thought process, or there was no black and white. There were some cops on the department. When I was in the 7th District, there were a couple white guys that they they had nothing to do with the black hoppers. They didn't want nothing to do with them which I thought was the craziest thing because you're like, I could care less what his color is when he comes to help me. You know, we're all blue. I could care less who's coming to help me. As long as I hear that siren and those whites and somebody's coming in the hallway when I'm getting my ass kicked, I don't care if he's a black guy or he's a woman. I need help. There were some cops that were also black that were very militant. They let it be known. that They didn't ride on your jobs. That's what the term is.
0: In this window of time, as you're going through all this action, you're getting better? Can you see a learning curve that's happening very quickly? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you're wanting to yeah. hone that?
1: Absolutely. I had a great training officer, Marine Jim Zigowitz. A little cranky when I first met him, but of course, he was a little cranky because he just came back from Hawaii. And here he is standing at the desk in the 7th District, 95 degrees out. I walk up, somebody, or I, I ask, I said, they said, who's your training officer? I said, I, Sigowitz or uh, J, Z, Ziggy, Jimmy Zigowitz. I go, oh yeah, okay, Zigowitz. Yeah, there he is right there by the desk. So I walk up and stand there and he's talking to somebody. I don't want to interrupt them. Small talk, bullshit. You know, I was Hawaii and uh, this guy's tan as could be big Polish big big Polish guy. You know, they're bullshit. And He's like, yeah, you know, I wasn't, wasn't happy about having to come back here. So, and I'm like, oh boy, he catches me out of the corner and I turns. He says, who are you? I go, uh, I'm, uh, Finnegan. I'm your PPO probationary police officer. All right. And that's all he says. All right. So he continues talking to the guy and he says, uh, come here. So we walk down, they open the door. There's a little half door they open, and there's somebody standing there and he goes, here's your radio. He gives me a radio. He takes his radio. And then he takes the keys. I'm not driving. I'm brand new. He's fucking, you can't beat the keys. So we get in and here, we got to search the car. So he shows me, you pull the back seat, pull the back seat out, you check the car real good, look with your flashlight, make sure. And he tells me what to do, where you're from, blah, 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 small talk. So he says, 721. So are you familiar with the beach yet? I said, I've got a beat map. I just got it. Didn't get a chance to look it over. He says, okay, well, you get time for that. He said, we go from the Dan Ryan Expressway to Hamilton Street, which is a couple blocks. It's a railroad tracks. They divide the district. So it's relatively small.
0: I'm looking at a heat map on the internet, of the 7th District, and it is small. It's a, it's almost a perfect square. Smallest.
1: Yeah, that and the second District, too, because it was high in crime, because it had all the CHA was there, so it had a high density of crime. So they made it small. So anyway, we're driving around. And we stopped some people, guys hanging out on dope spots. These are known dope spots. 60s of Perry. I mean, this is his beat. This is his car. He works this every shift because he's a senior guy. That time he had 20 years on. Not the most talkative person, except for police stuff. When I first met him, no small talk. Didn't ask anything about my personal life, nothing like that. But a serious guy, kind of odd, didn't have a vest on. I waited a while and I finally asked him to go, you're not wearing a vest? goes, nah. I go, oh, I thought you had to wear a vest. He says, no, it's your choice. I said, oh, okay. I'm like, fuck, I ain't coming out there without a vest on. And I was a little nervous, to be honest with you, because this guy, no vest. He was an old-timer, man, 20-year veteran, and didn't stop him from chasing people guns, didn't stop him from going into buildings. He was a Marine. He was probably seen a lot of shit in the Marine Corps, too. So, kind of a gruff guy, trying to teach me the ropes.
0: Yeah, that was my question, is how friendly was he he in wanting you to be a good cop?
1: He was serious. First day I met him, so he's not going to be my buddy. He's got a job. He worked six days at the time, six days on, two days off. Him and I were in the same day off group because he was my training officer. As the week's going, towards the end of the week, a little bit of small talk. What do you want to eat after a little while, he's kind of easing up a little bit, kind of gauging me, seeing how I react with people and interact with them, telling me, don't do this, don't do that. Watch this, watch that. Yeah, good guy. I mean, knows his stuff, you know, because he's a veteran officer. I got him for eight weeks, probably about halfway through. Starts to ease up a, a little bit, telling jokes, funny stuff. And, him and I now we're on days. We we go around to days because it's 28 days. First thing I see with him is, Probably something major that happened. He sees a car. It's a Chrysler convertible, brand new, and there's four dudes in it. And they're driving over at like 64th and Sealy. There's a big basketball game on the street, and they come around the corner, you know, to show off that they got this car. And he goes, We're going to stop these dudes. He says, That's not right. He says, I think it's a hot car. So he puts the lights on. The driver and the front passenger bail out. Now, this is pre cops. I've never seen anybody jump out of a car while the car's in motion. So the guy jumps out the driver and then the passenger and he goes, go get the driver. And I'm looking and he says, get out of the fucking car and get the driver. So I'm like, look, and I'm like, what the fuck? This guy's running, leaving the car going like that? Driving? In gear? You know, I run around the alley and this guy's hopping fences. I hop fences. I got all this shit on, you know, it's fucking hot out. and He's got shorts and a sleeveless t-shirt on. Of course, we called them Dago T's back then. But you can't use that term anymore. Yeah, this dude dusts me. I mean, literally, you know, dusts me. I mean, he's gone. Fucking 17 years old. I'm, I'm young, 25 years old. But I mean, this guy has got nothing on. I'm wearing all this shit, man. This weight, the best, all of it.
0: And stuff. he's got a long start on you.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, because, yeah, I didn't get out of the car for about 10 seconds. Because I'm like, what the fuck? That guy just jumped out of the car. He goes, go get right the car driving. Oh, man. So I get out and run after the guy. But anyway, he gets away. Come back over you know, these, uh, you know, these fucking guys are playing bad. They're all laughing and shit. The car smashed into a fucking, like, pole. you know, they're all laughing at us. Come back. We got nothing to show for it, right? Except the car. It's got damage on it. And he's like, can you drive? He goes, drive the fucking car into the station. So, go into the station. We go in there and... We run the van, and sure enough, it was stolen from the dealership the day before on Western Avenue. They took a bunch of cars all the time over there.
0: What do you mean they took a bunch of cars over there? This was where they'd unload vehicles and.
1: Those auto dealerships started at 67th, which was Marquette Road. They went for a couple blocks the brand new dealerships. Then he had a million used car dealership. Most of the year, people would have those. Uh, you were buying them, and people were going in there buying them for like 28% and then get them repoked like a month later. These guys would go in and break into dealerships. They'd find the the keys in a strong box somewhere or whatever. They'd get them out. And they'd drive off the lot, chains across the exits and the entryways. But they got them out of there. They were always taking cars brand new, whether it was the Chrysler, the Ford, the Chevys. These dealerships would report three, four cars missing a week. And these guys would be out joyriding them or using them. Not so much in drive-bys back then, joyriding them. So I think the car in the station, like the VIN number off, it it's, It has no plate. so. When we landed on the car, the computer came up slowly. They had what was called a computer car. So they had like maybe three or four of them in the district. He tells me to fill out the report, and uh, he was getting a cup of coffee. I come out to ask him a question, and he's up there talking about me. This fucking stupid fucker's sitting in the car, and the guy's fucking running down the alley. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I go, "Um, I zig. Uh, He goes, yo, what? What? I said, I got a question for you. He's like, "Uh, I'll be in there in a minute. So, you know, I felt like a moron.
0: I mean, it did it feel like a rite of passage and it was yeah. inevitable?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you're brand new and you do dumb stuff and everybody does dumb stuff. This is before on TV they had these cop shows where they show dudes doing that. They listen, man, I never seen anybody bail out of a stolen car before. You know what I mean? It was the craziest thing. The guy left the car in gear. Then, as you got more experience, sometimes they'd get out and they'd throw the car in reverse so it hit the squad car when you were behind them. Get your earbag to go off. The more you do stuff, the more you would see stuff, the better you would get at it. Hey, I wouldn't say, grew up in the city. I grew up in Bridgeport. My younger and then after high school, went back there for a while. So I had a little bit of street sense. Not so much somebody jumping out of a car. You, you could tell when someone's BSing you. These guys are lying to you. You grab somebody on the street. It, it, the first thing you learn, even as a new guy, this guy's running. Now, Neil, they take their, they take their clothes off. It's the middle of summer. And they're wearing three shirts and two pairs of shorts. And that's not because they want to be comfortable. They run from the police because they're doing bullshit. So the minute they run from the police, they're shedding their skin like snakes. They're ripping that T-shirt off. And they're ripping another T-shirt off. And they're taking the shorts off. So you're giving a description. You got a male black, six foot two. He's got a white T-shirt on. And he's got red shorts, white gym shoes. Now, this guy's running or sitting somewhere, and he's got green shorts on, and he's got a blue shirt, and he's trying to blend in.
0: That's his street smarts.
1: Exactly. And the funniest thing was, most of the time, you would think they'd run and run and run and run to get away. And I would say about 95% of the time, they would run and hide. They'd either go under a porch, they'd go in a garage, hide under a car. Run up into a house that didn't belong to them? Yeah, I mean, they were smart. You'd chase them through a vacant lot, and they'd just like a rabbit, they'd double right back around on the other gangway. I mean, you could be positive that 99 percent of the time they would run every dude, no matter who it was, would run that same track. They'd run around the building and come back out to front on the other gangway or the other vacant lot. And then you start figuring that
0: out and you just go over there and wait? Yeah,
1: your other guys would be up there waiting for them. You'd have a couple guys chasing them with you and then the other guys would be out front. You have a guy in a car, you know. Some of these guys were so fast, it was very difficult to catch them unless they laid down, unless they were hiding in an abandoned garage, unless they were hiding in an abandoned house in the basement because they were tired out eventually. It was cat and mouse. When you became the police and you eventually learned through experience, it's pretty hard to fool you. You saw the same bullshit game over and over again. Sometimes you get one who was a little ingenious and they come up with something original, and you have to give them credit for it because they came up with something nobody else did before. The stuff that you've seen out there, and then being in these neighborhoods was pretty amazing. But anyway, so Jim and I finished up after our eight weeks, they can recommend that you do an additional four weeks or you're ready to go on. Not on your own because you can't work on your own until you're off probation, which is a year at the time. Now it's, I think it's 18 months. So when I was complete with him, then you're working on the watch. When you're done with your training officer, if you're fortunate, you'll work with some guys whose partners are on vacation, which is called furlough on the police department in Chicago. You're lucky enough to work with somebody who's a regular on the watch. That's a good deal. But if you're not, then like there's guys that don't go around there with the watch, they're on the street, midnights or whatever. So you're working on their watch now, and they don't have a partner because nobody wants to work with them. And those are the guys you get stuck with until you pretty much are done, not so much with your probation, but until the, the sergeant's bill reports. Yeah, he can. You could probably par- partner with somebody. You know, you're stuck with people. You're working with the people that you want to work with.
0: And you quickly and, find uh, out why.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got some bad habits. They don't want to work. I got stuck working the wagon, which was, you know, the squad role. They put three squad rolls up in the district when it was going minimum two. Now you're lucky if you got one. They're there. They just don't man them. Always,
0: Explain that to me. What is a squad role?
1: Yeah, a squad roll is the term that came from New York and other cities. Because they would call it the paddy wagon, sure. P A D D Y. And the reason for that was because most of the time the drunk Irishmen would go in it. So they called it the paddy wagon. Official term in Chicago is called, you know, the wagon. And you had dedicated guys who wanted to work the wagon because the wagon, even though you had guys that were good guys and they'd respond and back you up in the wagon, most of the time the wagon guys, they weren't heart chargers. They'd get on it, you know, like specifically said, squad, get into a wagon over here on the double. Instead of saying, you know, squad, we got a 10 1 over here. You know, get us some help. we screaming. 10 1 is a term for you need help immediately. If you had a good wagon crew, they would be over to help you get that guy, fight with him, get him in a wagon, too. Before Chicago, which probably within the last, I don't know, it might be 10 years, they contract out dead bodies. That was the responsibility of the, the wagon crews, whether it was a burn victim, homicide victim, hit and run victim, uh, yeah, heart attacks. People driving to work have a heart attack. They go in the squad roll. They're dead already. The ambulance you know Yeah, he's deceased. He's, he's, the DOA, dead on arrival. So the wagon would take them to the medical exam. Very undignified. Uh, put you on a canvas stretcher. Put you down in the bag of the wagon. You're not going to fill it because you're dead, but you're getting bounced around like high heaven. And then it had two... Bench seats in there for putting prisoners or transporting cops. Certain times when there was no civil unrest, they would utilize the wagons to take 10 cops over somewhere real quick. They redesigned it because they had some lawsuits. Let's say the attack team in the 7th District, which I was a member of, you go out and you tell these guys, get off the corner because you got, Neil, truly good people trapped in those neighborhoods. People that work for a living. And when they come home, they're prisoners because they can't sit on their porches because they're told by the gangbangers, go in your house. These thugs are up and down the street with guns and selling dope. They're not making $500 for the day and calling it a great day, meal. They're making thousands and tens of thousands of dollars in a day. So when it comes to that kind of money, people are going to get hurt or killed when they don't listen to them or burned out.
0: What does burned out mean?
1: Burned out, like set their house on fire. Suspicious fires, yeah. You know, back porch is a warning. Back porch gets set on fire. Mind your own business. Call the police, you're going to have a problem. Shooting through windows. Well, You've got kids in the house, and so you're, you're going to do what you say. You're a prisoner. There were a lot of good people. I'd go looking down a gangway, and someone would be in the screen. Look under the back. Look under the back by those tires back there. Okay, thank you. Walk back there. You get the guys over there in front. They're handcuffed. You go back to turn the tire over. There's 20 big bags of dope, or there's a couple pistols stuck under there. They hated these guys as much as you did. The good people that were living there were trapped. Children who couldn't play because they had to worry about stray gunfire. But a lot of times they were out there anyway. What are you going to tell a kid? You can't go out play? Little girls jumping a rope in front of the house, and you get these thugs. Standing there, selling dope three, four houses down. It's terrible, man. It really is. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. Get the orders from the Tulsa sergeants. Listen, man, get a lot of heat from the commander. I want this block cleared up. So you go over there, and I've heard this happens with the wagon. One warning. First of all, they know you're not fucking around because they see three unmarked cars and two guys in regular clothes driving a wagon. So they need a wagon driving through with two guys when you're doing shit. They know you're in some business, so they're told, get off the street. You're going to be told one time. Okay. And they're idiots because they're not getting off the street. So you go somewhere, and I've been told five minutes later, the wagon comes through again, and now everyone's out getting handcuffed. And now they're going to jail. But it's 90 degrees out. So on the wagon, maybe that Heater switch isn't working correctly, so the back of that wagon is real hot. Maybe the wagon guys are thirsty, so they drive over and they're going to pick up drinks for everybody because they're going in and they're going to process these guys. and They're like, "Hey, you want you want a cold soda? Yeah, okay. I'm going to stop at the store, go in there and get a bunch of sodas. In the meantime, your partner's in there, and that this is what I've been told: the heat's on." And you can hear, because there's a vent up top, but that vent happens to be closed. And you can hear yelling in there, it's hot in this motherfucker, let us out, this and that. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. By the time you get into the station, it looks like a fucking slip and slide when you open that back door. They come rolling out of there, slip and sliding. That's how fucking hot it was. They're going to remember that because they're not going to go back on that corner for a while or on that block. They don't want to go through that hot ride again. But those days are over. Unfortunately, the camera killed everything. And I like to say, you know, B.C., before cameras. That was when policing was was good. Because then you could make sure that you police thoroughly. Not so much anymore. And then the consent decree with fucking Madigan's sellout daughter.
0: I want to pause here a moment and talk about the consent decree. Consent decree, and I'm reading from Chicago.gov. A consent decree is a court-approved settlement that resolves a legal dispute between parties. This consent decree requires the Chicago Police Department and the City of Chicago to reform training, policies, and practices in a number of important areas, such as use of force, community policing, impartial policing, training, accountability, officer wellness, data and information systems, and more. The goal is to ensure that the CPD reforms constitutional and effective policing that keeps both community members and officers safe and restores the community's trust in the CPD. A consent decree is something that police in general do not like, at least the ones I've spoken to and what you can read in the media. This is not something that police want to be governed under. So this is the initial incident that started the wheels in motion for the current consent decree. And Jerry refers to a woman named Lisa Madigan. She was the attorney general of the state of Illinois who was instrumental in agreeing to and implementing the current consent decree. She is not the attorney general currently in 2023. She decided not to run again, and I'll detail that in a moment. But let's start with how this— consent decree was put in motion or why it was put in motion. And I'm reading from a CBS news article from July 27th, 2018, and I'll I'll post a link to this article. The Emanuel administration and Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan have reached an agreement on a proposed court order that would govern sweeping changes at the Chicago Police Department. The proposed court agreement comes in response to a 2017 report by the U.S. Department of Justice that found systemic abuses of minorities by Chicago police officers and woefully insufficient training and oversight of the force. And then there's a timeline. The key event, there's a couple, but on October 20th, 2014, Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke shoots 17-year-old Laquan McDonald while responding to reports of a person with a knife. This was a controversial incident, to say the least. I think some would argue it brought down Rahm Emanuel's mayorship or why he didn't run again. But there's a detail here of how this consent decree came into existence. And there's a moment here, which I think is interesting, where you have, at the time, in 2017— the attorney general of the united states is jeff sessions and he refuses to implement or he so let me let me be specific April 4th, 2017, Attorney General Jeff Sessions issues a memo calling into question whether the Justice Department will monitor reforms at the Chicago Police Department. Sessions says local law enforcement should be responsible for determining the best practices for policing, not the federal government. Mayor Rahm Emanuel and Chicago Police Brass say reform should move forward with or without a federal consent decree. Well, ultimately, as we know, out goes Jeff Sessions and On July 27th, 2018, Attorney General Lisa Madigan and Mayor Rahm Emanuel announced a proposed consent decree regarding police reforms. July 27th, 2018, Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan and Mayor Rahm Emanuel announced a proposed consent decree regarding police reform. So that is, in a nutshell, the consent decree that Jerry is referring to. One other note of importance is... Who is Lisa Madigan? Lisa Madigan, as you know, is Attorney General of the state of Illinois, but she did not run again for another term. Whether or not she would have won, I don't know what the numbers were indicating, but we do know her father is arguably one of the most powerful people in the history of Illinois politics. He was the Speaker of the House in Illinois, and he is in deep shit. Let me read about him. Former Illinois House Speaker indicted on racketeering and bribery charges. Michael J. Madigan, the former Speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives, was indicted by a grand jury Wednesday on 22 federal charges related to racketeering, bribery, and attempted extortion, prosecutors said. Indictment accuses Madigan of using his political power to obtain bribes and steer business toward his private Chicago law firm. Many of the allegations of the indictment relate to claims that Madigan illegally influenced the Commonwealth Edison Company, Northern Illinois, Primary Electric Utility, et cetera, et cetera. There's more detail here. I'll post a link to it. I believe there was a conclusion in the ComEd indictments with people at ComEd and the CEO stepping down. It's it's just a fucking mess, as you could imagine Chicago politics are. Madigan was in power, I think. Longer than maybe anyone, a Democrat from, I believe, a South Side area. Most of you listening know the history and details. Those that don't should look into it. It's fascinating, but it's all part of this common cycle in Illinois and Chicago and the power brokers. Back to Jerry.
1: There's some ways individuals can be not coerced, but can strongly enforce the idea of them not to be out there. But those days are over. That's why there's 400 fucking kids running up and down Michigan Avenue, burning cars and shooting people no repercussions anymore.
0: In future conversations, we're definitely going to get into the state of today of Chicago, which is every day changing for not sure. the better.
1: But it's never coming back me. I guarantee it.
0: I really want to dive into your headspace because yeah. I think you are uniquely positioned to talk about it. Was there a mission statement for the Chicago police As to what they needed to do in this window of time, meaning we got a drug problem, we got a gang problem, we got a this problem. Was there a mission statement that was narrow and specific or was it, this is a city, it's a fucked up place, we just police?
1: I know this sounds crazy, but I, I would have to say, up until maybe Two thousand fifteen, two thousand eighteen. 2015, 2018, the police in the city of Chicago, I don't know about other cities, the Chicago police controlled the city. General policemen killed, shot, jumped on, fights, bad guy 99% of the time was a loser or got caught and went away. We had complete autonomy over the city at one time. Truly, we knew the guys are out there, they're selling drugs, you're not going to stop it. You're not going to stop the drugs. Because of the demand for it. But my thing was, and a lot of guys, we said the same thing. We go out there and tell these guys, listen, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Don't give a fuck. You want to sell drugs? Because I'm going to tell you something. If I catch you, you're going to prison. But I'll be honest with you. You want to sell drugs? You do what you're going to do. The minute you start fucking shooting out here, and with these kids on the street and all that stuff, you're never going to sell drugs on this block again. Especially in SOS. I'm not saying all the district guys, because the district guys had good control, too. But in SOS, they'd send us out. And we'd go on these blocks. we tell them, that ain't happening today, man. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, okay, we'll see. I've heard stories about having a fight with some of these people out on the street. You know, yeah, you're going to get your lumps. Toppers are going to get hurt. They're going to have to go to the hospital. They're going to have to get stitches sometimes. They're going to be the winners at the end. But not anymore.
0: I've heard you talk about this in the past, which was getting the guns off the streets. That was yeah, priority I, number one.
1: Plain spoken English. I would tell these dudes, I would say, listen to me, people know what's going on out there. They live on, it. they see what you're doing every day. Okay. You're going to sell drugs. Okay. That's that's your business. Okay. I, I, like, as long as it's not where I catch you doing it, you're going to jail. I can't be here every minute of the day. But when you start bringing the guns in this play here and you're shooting on the street or you kill somebody out here because there was a fight or whatever, you just fucked your business up because now you've got all the pressure in the world on you because it's going to come down like a hammer. And it did. And if they shot a policeman, the superintendent of police would demand that there would be a war on that particular game that was responsible for that policeman being shot. Whether he was shot or killed, it didn't make a difference because that was a major fuck-up. If you shot the police or shot at the police, there was high hell to pay for that. It might not happen immediately as far as, like, indictments go, but you would see six months down the road or a year down the road, there'd be a big sweep by gang intelligence or the gang specialists and they would go up and round up these guys with the help of SOS or the district tag teams or whatever. And all of a sudden, you'd see in the newspaper or in the news that 10 Spanish Cobras were indicted, 30 Spanish Cobras, 20 Latin kings, 16 GDs in this area. Because you know what? And they worked them hard and they put these dudes away because they crossed the line. It's bad enough they killed people out here, their own guys and these thugs are shooting it out with each other. kill innocent victims or children, or worse yet, police, that's when the hammer would come down on them. Not so much anymore,
0: I don't think. That concludes Conversation 2. Stay connected for Conversation 3 when we discuss more details about the 7th District and Jerry's ascent towards joining attack team and Gangs West.